investors, whether large or small, they're people and they're relationship driven. And it's just, a, it just really, it's a matter of how you access those relationships and how you maintain them and, and what credibility you bring to the table. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards helping international investors break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good, as always, to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, this show is all about educating my loyal listeners about the benefits of investing in U.S. cash-flowing real estate. Now, if you want to join the community, the easiest way you can do it is jump online and subscribe to my show. And while you're there, jump onto iTunes, jump onto SoundCloud, jump onto Stitcher, we're across all the platforms. Um, and if you do like this show, the best way of giving back to the show is uh, giving it a review. Um, and I have a little proposition for you today. So if you do go online and give my show a review, particularly on iTunes, and you shoot me the screenshot of that review, uh, you shoot it to me at info. I-N-F-O at rsmpropertygroup.com. In return, I'm going to shoot you back my new ebook, which is called The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. And it's a little ebook that I've put, to, put together to help investors and entrepreneurs out there, help them scale their business and change their mindset about how to scale their business and start to raise capital. Um, now, the four P's are pretty simple, but they are very, very strategic in changing that mindset. Now, the first P is professionalism. Very, very important when you start raising capital. The second P is pitch. The third P is practice. And the fourth P is patience. So if you do want to grab, get your hands on my new ebook, which has just come out, then you know, get online, jump on iTunes, jump on SoundCloud, whatever, the, whatever platform you're on, and give the show a five-star review um, or a, whatever review you may want. And, uh, and then shoot it to me at my at my website, um, info at rsnpropertygroup.com. Now, let's talk a little bit about some other housekeeping stuff. Uh, in 2017, as you guys already know, I am doing free 30-minute calls um, with all my loyal listeners. Uh, if you have any issues that you're having with your business, um, you want to discuss something in particular, then jump online, jump again on my website, uh, and then shoot me an email at info at rsnpropertygroup.com, and just put in the, uh, in the subject line, free 30-minute call. Now, I don't try and sell you anything on this call. It's completely up to you. And we can talk about anything from analyzing deals to partnerships to how to get that, take that next step in your investing career. So if you want to hit me up um, and you want to have a chat, um, please do so. The second thing is if you're ever coming through LA, I always love meeting up with other real estate entrepreneurs and investors to, you know, just to meet. We might go for a beer, we may go for a coffee, may just go for lunch, whatever you want to do, let's let's do it. I love, I just love meeting up with other investors. So if you do come through LA um, and, you know, I'm in Culver City, really close to the airport, um, yeah, we can we can meet up. Uh, just again, shoot me an email at info at rsmpropertygroup.com and just let me know when you're coming through town. All right, guys, the last bit of, you know, housekeeping is that, as you know, in 2017, I am, I've started my mentorship program. So if anyone is interested in joining my mentorship program, it is a program designed to help investors take that first step and buy that first multifamily deal. Then again, it's an incredible program that I put together 
I'm going to walk you through everything from how to understand the lingo and what you need to do in terms of analyzing deals. And, and I'm talking about real analyzing deals, like not just high level stuff. I'm talking about getting to the nitty gritty. Um, I'm going to walk you through how to find those deals, how to find off market deals, because it's really, really hard um, to find a cracking deal these days in this particular market. I'm going to talk to you about how um, you, you build out your team. It's so important to have the great team on boots on the ground, um, whatever state you're investing in. Yeah, and I typically invest out of state. So I've got a lot of experience investing in out-of-state um, cities and, and, and sub-markets and, and, and having a great team around you is so key. I'm then also going to talk to you, uh, we'll educate you on how to start a personal brand because that is just, it's so important. So personal branding helps with raising capital. And that's just, that's like one of the, the linchpins to taking that next step in your investing career. Um, I'm looking to create a group of about 10 to 20 uh, mentees, and it's going to be a close knit group. We're going to be doing you know weekly Facebook updates, weekly go to meetings, weekly seminars and webinars just for the group. Um, but if you are interested, uh, again hit, hit me up at info i n f o at rsmpropertygroup.com and just put in the subject line mentorship program, and I'll shoot you back the outline uh, of of what I'm going to cover and and just the sort of the little info packet. All right, guys, if you do have any comments on today's show, I love hearing about the comments and any feedback you might have. You can tweet at me and just jump on Twitter. And my my, hash, uh, my, my handle is Reed Goosens. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. And you can follow me on Facebook and tw- uh, Twitter, obviously, and on Instagram. And my, um, my, my business name on Facebook is RSN Property Group. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get cracking into today's show. Today in the show, I have with me John Azar. John is the Executive Vice President and Member Principal at MACC Venture Partners and Capstone Multifamily Group Companies, where he directs strategic development, capital management, and growth for for the family of companies. He also oversees alternative financing and investor portfolio development. John has a history of pronounced success in investment management, institutional sales, and distribution, as well as commercial banking. At MACC Venture Capital, John has developed a culture of rigorous vetting, due diligence, sourcing, and relationship development, which has contributed to the firm now owning over 5,000 units across the United States. Pretty incredible stuff. Enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, John. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Thanks so much, Reed. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Where are you dialing in from uh, across the country? I know you're a busy man. Uh, in Charlotte. We're in the Charlotte area right now. I'm in the head office right outside of Charlotte. Nice. How, how many offices do you guys have over uh, throughout the United uh, we, States? We have two. We have one in Charlotte, in the Charlotte area in North Carolina, and we have one in Miami. In nice. Florida. You get down to Miami much? <laughs> I do. I do. Every every chance I get. Well, right now, right? It'll be snowing out in Charlotte. It'll be cold. Uh, no, actually, it's 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 fine. It's not snowing. We hardly get any snow. If it gets if we get any snow, it's pandemonium here in North Carolina. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, no, it's not snow. It's just 40 degrees. Nice, nice. So, John, I was doing some research online, uh, and it appears that you've you know you've got a vast array of experience in the financial world. You've obtained your MBA, I think, from the U- University of North Carolina. Was that correct? Uh, B- uh, MBA is from Boston University. Boston, Boston. That's right. Was, I couldn't yep, remember where Boston it was. University, yeah. Um, and you're you've also so you're a guest lecturer. So it sounds like you've got a pretty varied array of, of background and experience. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background and how you got involved in multifamily investing? Sure. My background started out in, in mostly investments and finance, not um, not multifamily. And my um, I started out in, in wealth management with Morgan Stanley uh, many 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 
years ago, back before 9/11. And uh, in fact, I was with Morgan Stanley during 9/11, and um, it was uh, it was a pretty interesting time that uh, that I lived through. Uh, it, but but that kind of got me the basis of, of 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 a lot of my current capabilities in sales and relationship management. Um, from from Morgan Stanley, I moved into uh, with a group of two or three two partners actually out of Morgan Stanley. We we launched a um, a development real estate development uh, and finance company, mostly consulting. It's a consulting and uh, finance company for large scale mixed use development um, projects, uh, and and those were in the uh, concentrated in bigger metropolitan areas such as New York, Boston. Uh, Miami and Philadelphia. These were the, the the few hubs, major hubs that we we worked in. We had uh, two major projects in in uh, Boston. We had a, a project in Philadelphia. We had a uh, one in uh, in Miami that we worked on. Uh, we actually had one in London as well that we worked on. And and we did that from about 2004 to 2007 or so, 2008. Uh, and then our pipeline dried up, and we had to kind of rebrand and relaunch ourselves and get day jobs and um <laughs> and try to try to maintain some semblance of the of the of the entrepreneurial company that we had uh, but uh but from there we kind of we still did some consulting but we from there I kind of moved into more of the um of the venture consulting into venture capital and private equity and uh we took on some clients that were in entertainment industry and as well as hospitality we did some hospitality deals again one of them is in New York um, and, uh, I didn't really start getting into multifamily until after, uh, I sort of, my brother launched a company that, that we're in today. Uh, he launched it, uh, really early on in, in 2006, 2007, started buying multifamily complexes. And, uh, in 2012, 2013, him and I started, uh, talking about, uh, kind of joining forces and we launched uh, Mac Venture Partners in 2013. I launched it when I was still actually in Boston. And then uh, at some point in, but between that and 2015, we decided that it just uh, it makes more sense for me to, to move move my base of operation down here to join him um, and the rest of the family in 2015. So that's that's uh, that's when I made the move to North Carolina. Uh, nice. Up until that up until that point, I was I was a Boston based guy. Boston based guy. I was wondering where the accent was coming from. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> very, very interesting. So, so you're early on in your career. I've, I've got my background in structural engineering, so I've got a lot of experience in consulting and, um, and, and obviously a little bit different. So, were you were you doing your consulting early on for ground up developments and and real estate infill, urban infills as a fee based company, like a just as That's the, right. the third the yeah. third party developer. Exactly, as a, as a fee-based company, almost like an iBanking company for for mixed-use, large large-scale mixed-use development. Right. Uh, we we were essentially the the sort of the finance, the finance guys that we we structured a deal, we structured a finance, the uh, we bring the parties together. We even did a lot more, did a lot some some a lot of boot on the ground work, such as uh, negotiation with the uh, sometimes the land owners or the site site operators. We would bring in the engineers, the architects. Uh, we would do sometimes the environmental studies, the feasibility studies. We, we conducted most of the feasibility studies in the project um, and then essentially spun out the project, packaged it in a nice little nice little package with a boat to tie on it and, and, and sent it on to, uh, to its way and got paid a fee. Yep, yep. So you would, were you do, uh, going and entitling the, the land or the dirt or the, whatever it was and getting it permit ready or shovel ready, as they like to say, and then handing we, it over yeah, to the we, GC or would you oversee the we, construction as well? 
Yeah, we oversaw it, it, a little bit of all. We, we, we oversaw sometimes the permitting, but you know, we didn't actually, again, take part of any of the project ourselves. We were almost acting strictly as, as consultants, not, not necessarily as part of the deal itself. Uh, and and the, usually the, the developer or the, or the operators themselves would be the ones who would be, the owner on them would be to take on the permitting, but we would, we would help them usher that on. Sure, sure. No, no, it make, makes sense. Um, but would have been would have been bloody tough, uh, you know, developing your entrepreneurial, leaving what Goldman Sachs did you say, and then heading in, in with a partner and, and going off into the big bad world and, and starting your own company, and then having to reel it back in two thousand and seven. That would have been a bit of a shock to the system, I would say. All right, more, yeah, Morgan Stanley. Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley. Sort of that, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we um, well, it, it actually we worked on a project while we were at Morgan Stanley that was in Miami. It was a large scale um, mixed use development project. Uh, we, they came to us to, for Morgan Stanley to do the structured finance deal. It was a $1.2 billion project. We, we worked on it for a while. It, it, the project itself, it got a lot of attention, a lot of both media attention and, 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 um, uh, attention from large, uh, operators such as anything from Tyco to EMP architects. I mean, it, it got the, all the names of, of, of the, of the big, big time operators at the time. Uh, but it never worked. It didn't actually mature. So uh, as a result, we it, it, Morgan Stanley ended up losing a, a good amount of money, but we pulled out of it. But uh, but some of the players in it came to us individually, to me and my partners, and said, you know, we'd love to work with you guys if you were ever on your own. Uh, we may have some projects in Boston and New York that we'd love to look at with you. Um, and so a few months later, we kind of hung our own uh, shingle for a consulting company and, and um, took them for their word. Right. And, and then, so as 2007 approached, obviously projects started to dry up. That was hence why the, the move back into a day job. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Projects started drying up big time. I mean, we went from having uh, five or six open projects. We had three in, in the Boston area alone uh, on the waterfront and uh, uh, we, we uh, everything dried up to like a raisin. I mean, it, it was over overnight from two in 2007. We I can almost tell you the months that we I regrouped with my partners and said, guys, this is this is just isn't working. Uh, I mean, our project, <laughs> all all the money just went into into somewhere, and it wasn't. It's not in our pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you see any similarities where we are right now in the market cycle compared to back then? I know a lot of projects. I personally consult a couple of days a week, but more on the construction side of some large multifamily luxury high-end stuff here in LA, uh, as well as my investing. Um, I'm definitely seeing it's a different lending environment, and and you know with the cost of construction, some deals aren't penciling out. So are you? Are, are, do you still have your 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 eye back on that space? Do you know? Do you, do you have any thoughts we, about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. It, it's starting to definitely get. Little frothy with the rates going up and uh, and and some in the prices, especially the cap rates and the pricing on the on the A level, higher level properties, uh, really hitting an all time high to some extent, and rents going really high, uh, and, and you, know, you just kind of wonder where's where's it going to end up. But uh, I don't think we're in the same exact environment as 2007. I I, I definitely don't think that the, the financial dynamics are the same in two, as 2007. Uh, there are there's a lot of cash in the marketplace right now, so I I don't see a cliff scenario similar to 2007 2008. Uh, I, I you know I I do see us at the sort of the top of a, uh, a sort of a, a straight line top of the curve, uh, but without a without a deep cliff scenario, I think we may see a sort of an adjustment, uh, a, you know, a little bit of a recapitalization and at at some point 
in the next six to eighteen months. But uh, I, I don't, I don't see, a, I don't see a cliff scenario. I see a, a like almost a gentle slope, if right. you will. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So with all your experience in the larger scale stuff, billion dollar projects, to then focusing or refocusing on multifamily, do you want to talk a little bit about what type of asset class you're investing in right now, the types of markets or where you're investing, and you know, just your success of building from zero to five thousand units in, in and I want to know like sort of the time frame which you've built those uh, that portfolio. Uh, well, the time frame started in 2007. My, my, as I said, my brother Tony started the 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 company um, in 2007. as sort of the predecessor to Mac Venture Partner, uh, and started buying just at the right time. We he had a portfolio of single family uh, properties at that time that he sold out of and got into the market just at the right time, uh, fortuitously enough, and uh, kind of started building from that point on. And um, which is at the right place at the right time. Uh, and then uh, we kept we kept sort of capitalizing on that success from 2007 to to, to now. But, uh, you know, in 2013, 2014, as I said, we kind of rebranded into Mac Venture Partners and really decided to uh, you know, go after establishing our, our private equity platform a little bit more rigorously uh, with uh, with added partners, added added investors. Uh, and then in 2015, we really started focusing on adding institutional partners, institutional investors, because the deal size itself, we're starting to kind of change. Uh, we, we wanted to shed our smaller properties and really go after only concentrate on our bigger properties and add, add only a hundred plus units type of properties. We, where at this point we don't really have any, uh, properties in our portfolios that are under hundred units. So everything in our portfolio is over hundred units in size. Uh, so as a result of you sort of uh, us expanding the size of the portfolio and the and the and ma- uh, the size of each asset, uh, therefore we we had to kind of change a little bit of the uh, investor profile that is involved with us. Um, the accredited investors are great and they've they've been a great part of our family of investors so far. But uh, for some of the bigger projects, it's a lot easier to to, to bring in institutional investors uh, to kind of help us shape up shape out the project. Right. And, and so what type of deals are you buying these days? Um, class C, class B? Uh, so we are, we're, we're, yeah, I hate to use the word value add because it's such a overused word these days. Uh, but we are really truly, truly value add investors where we, we look for only things that we can have some juice left in it for mm-hmm. us to yep. turn around and, and put some, put some value into it for our investors. And those are really in the B and C place, uh, B and C marketplace, so, you know, whether it's C minus C plus, uh, or solid C, you take a solid C and turn into a, uh, into a C plus or, uh, take a C plus turn into a B minus, um, those type of plays. We, we don't necessarily, we hardly ever get into a, a, a class properties just because the A's are, it just doesn't have enough value in it for us. There's not really any juice. There's typically when you get into A class properties, they're 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 finished pretty and pristine, and no need for anything else. Um, and that doesn't <laughs> doesn't really leave enough room for us to go in and do any um, anything uh, to add. So um, so therefore, we really don't do much A class properties at all. We we most of what I concentrate on is B and C. And that's that's kind of interesting. Um, I dabble in the A space a little bit with with the consulting stuff, and and obviously similarly with yourself, you came from the A high end luxury billion dollar projects to then <laughs> changing your mindset to class C. It's a little bit visually different, obviously, right? So how did how did you make that transition? after being involved in that industry, the class A industry, uh, mixed use development for such a long period of time? 
Well, look, I mean, you, you learned that uh, it's not just about sort of building, building your wealth is not about building for posterity purposes. You build your wealth based on wherever you think your the value of your dollar is going to be. Um, so it's, it's, uh, would it, would it be nice and pretty to have an A-class building to your name? Yeah, for sure. It'd be great. But does it really help you get to achieve to your, your portfolio goals, uh, and, and really help you grow your portfolio the way you want to? If the answer is no, then, then you might want to switch gears. And the answer was no for us. So, uh, B and C were, was, was really, uh, where we, we saw the most value for us. Um, and also geographically wise, I mean, we are located in in, in the southeast, and we our portfolio is southeastern based. Um, in the southeast, it's a it's it's a lot easier for us to build that B and C class portfolio than it is, for instance, if I was still back in in in, in the Boston area and in, in, in the Northeast, uh, but in Boston and New York, I mean, everybody's building A class projects, a, a a product. Um, it, it almost doesn't make sense to build B product because the prices are are just completely out of whack up up in those areas. So it's it, it, it's really kind of also geographically driven to some extent to have that decision made, um, as opposed to, you know, again going going after A just because for the sake of having A class apartments in your, in your, your name, right in your portfolio. Um, I want to talk dive a little bit deeper into your due diligence. I know that you know we spoke a bit a little bit offline about how your the due diligence process in which you like to pride yourself on has really formed the backbone of your company. So. What do you like to do to make sure that you are getting involved in the right deal? And then once you've got that deal under contract, what's the next steps? And, and what do you what do you walk through, walk us through like the sort of acquisition process from under getting an LOI accepted to closing on the deal? Uh, our our due diligence is really starts out from almost the, the the moment we see the deal in our inbox. We sort of size up the deal both financially, strategically from a location standpoint. And then we, 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 my brother Tony and I, we always go and look at the deal ourselves and, and some of our other folks from our property management, which, which are also <laughs> happen to be family members as well. So we're, we're a family owned company. I have, you know, three of my nieces working in the business as well. So we all get involved in the due diligence process. We have to, we physically go and look at the, uh, at the asset itself. And then we go back and actually do the numbers again, so almost a second level of numbers. We do our underwritings. We have underwriters here that, that kind of do the spreadsheeting for us and uh, look at the number for us from a, from a, strictly from, from a financial standpoint. And then at that point, we make a decision whether, hey, we want to go after this or we don't go after this. So by the time we actually make a decision to go after a, an acquisition, we've already done two or three levels of due diligence, both financial, physical. We looked at the, at the assets uh, physically. We did the spreading of the numbers. Uh, we saw, oh, and we also sized it up with, with, our, with our financial institutional partners, uh, meaning that our, our banks or any financial institution that we're using for our, for our leverage or for our lending. So we already simultaneously have sent this project over to our, to our lenders and say, hey, could you look at, take a look at this project? Uh, what, how does this size up for you? What kind of terms can, do you think we can be able to get on this project? Uh, and they usually do their own underwriting as well. So there's, there's almost a double stand, standard of underwriting that, we, that is run on the project before we even make a, a bid on a, a project. Um, so by the time we actually make a bid on the project, we know exactly what the number should be and what our sort of tolerance is going to be for going up or going down um, on the offer price. And, and that's an interesting uh, point you bring up. I started to just dive in there because um, when I, given where we are in the market and how frothy multifamily is, 
talk to me a little bit about how you come to that, you know, an acquisition price that you're comfortable with, particularly on a value add, because a lot of the deals I'm seeing is that they're actually trading at a lower or what they're wanting to trade at a lower cap rate when the value actually isn't put into the property yet. But once the value is put into the property, they trade at a higher cap rate because of that class C mentality. So do you get the, do you, do you look at the, the, asking price and then you know I'm, I'm being very facetious here but take away the 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 construction and then make the offer just lowball the hell out of them or is there more of a, a science to what you do in in terms of getting to your maximum price that you would pay for the deal yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a formula largely driven by the expectation of what our investors would like or what we'd like to offer our investors so to, to us and that's why you know, deals that may look too, uh, bad to us may look good to someone else or, or vice versa may look really good to us, may look bad to someone else. Uh, I mean, the, the, how we make the determination whether something is good or bad or the calculation, really the calculus is made on around uh, the expectation of whether the returns are going to end up being from a project. Our average return to our investors that we normally get for, for our pref rate, annual pref rate or preferred rate or if you may know this sort of the, the, the coupon or the interest rate for those who, who don't know what prep rate is, is really between eight and 10%. That's what we'd like to stay between eight and 10% uh, annualized. And if a project is making, you know, 7% or six and a half, seven percent that that's not a good project for us, but it may be a good project for somebody else. So just because we are passing on, it doesn't mean it's not good for any, everybody else. Uh, and, and that's why, especially in larger institutional players, are um, their formula is, is a lot less rigorous on expectations for for returns than we are. Their their expectations are a little bit little more looser than, than ours. They they'll take six and a half seven percent return uh, in a heartbeat. We we can't. We have to we have to meet those expectations of our investors, and we have to stay above a certain pref rate per year. Uh, and then our IRR calculations also come into play. We have to stay in the IRR of upper teens and lower twenties. You know we like to stay in the 18, 19, 20% range where, again, institutional investors or some other investors may accept, you know, mid-teens or 15 or lower even teens, uh, 13, 14% uh, IRRs that, that are not acceptable to us. So, so that really is the main driver of what makes determination of whether something is, is, fits the mold for us or does not fit the mold from a financial standpoint. Right. Interesting. And, and with your value add deals that you're, you're purchasing, are you, the IRR I'm assuming is coming or the, the big bump in the IRR is coming from your bump in NOI. How much of that IRR is coming from the sale at the end of the hold period? And, and what is your hold period on, on a typical deal or your projected hold period? Our, our, our average hold is three to five years. That's yep. what we sort of uh, project in all our financials and, and for all our investors. Uh, sometimes we have to go, go a little over five. Sometimes we go a little less than three. Just depends on the market and where we're able to get out of out of the properties. And yeah, the IRR driven calcul calculation is is typically happens that that event typically happens at the sale or liquidation event right. of the of the property. Uh, the increase of the NOI does does obviously help us get there and help us attain get uh, to 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 get there. But also the investors during the same time they're getting paid the pref rate uh, sure. on a quarterly basis because our annual pref rate, uh, let's call it ten percent, they're getting paid. They're getting paid that coupon on a quarterly basis, right? And that's um, that's that's ten percent is massive. Like that's a good coupon to be paying. Are you getting that ten percent from from year one, or is it once the, the property stabilized over a period of that three to five year hold? No, no, it's not. It's not. It, it may not be year one, but we're definitely our aim is to get to that uh, sure. eight, nine, ten percent range within within the first year, year and a half. So yeah. it may yeah. not be the first year. Maybe the first year is going to be like. 
let's call it eight mm-hmm. or seven and a half, but mm-hmm. maybe year two is going to be probably closer to that nine and a half, ten percent range. So, yeah, so we, we really like to our value is to quickly build up to that 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 good coupon rate uh, so it can make it more appealing to our investors. Right. And how are you structuring your deals with your investors these days? Is uh, particularly with your institutional partners, is, are, do they want a certain piece of equity or they, they're happy just to get the coupon and, and that's all good and they're going to be in second position to the bank? It, it, it depends. They uh, everybody has to accept being second position to the bank. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's not even that's that's not a, that's a non starter. Not, not an option, right? Yeah, that's not an option. Uh, the bank is always number one. Uh, so they everybody else is number two, including us. Yeah. Um, right. And uh, and and as far as the structure, it it really sort of it, it ranges. It depends what they they want to do. If they want to be just strictly an LP investors, limited partner investor, then. Uh, they don't get underwritten. Obviously, they're they're just part of the part of the part of the equity stack, but not from a from a from a GP's perspective, not from a general partner perspective. If they want to co-invest with us as a GP investor, uh, then they would be part of the part of the management group and part of the general partners group, and um, and then obviously they have to get underwritten, and it just depends. Um, but uh, but but generally they are they are not uh, part of the GP group. Uh, we we generally like to retain operational control of uh, most of our assets, um, if if not all our assets. I mean, we because we have our our uh, property management company. Also, we really have a very good handle on our costs and 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 the cost of not only the rehab but the cost of also running the property on a day to day. We've gotten it down to a science, and and we really don't want to give that control up. Too much um, in, in, when we when we acquire a new project. And has that always been the case? Um, as you build out your portfolio, you know, you're at five thousand units now. Is there a tipping point where you start to say, "Look, I think taking property management in house is going to make a lot more sense for us moving forward." Oh, of course. That usually happens after after thousand after the thousand unit um, breakpoint. Uh, there's there's yeah there's yeah yeah. I mean, this business is driven largely by different inflection points that you have. I mean, so different inflection points of this in this business happen in, it happened by unit sizes. So it depends on what your unit size that happened to be in your portfolio. That's where when your next inflection point and your next decision making happened to be. So at at, at a thousand or so. Units. When we hit that, we decided to bring all the property management in house, and we established a property management company. Now that runs parallel with with our other company, the the the, the Capstone Multifamily Group is is the the, the property management company um, that 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 is that is co-run now by my again part of family members, my nieces that that run that part of the company, and uh, that runs parallel to Mac Venture Partners. Um, we, you know, when you hit the 3,000 units. Um, inflection point that's when you decide to kind of reshape your uh that your people internally your marketing uh some of your investor investor partners uh decide to sort of go after in bigger institutional partners and, and and see how you can kind of structure your deals that way you know the next inflection point which we are close to hitting we're not quite at the 5000 uh property uh level yet but our next inflection point is going to be the 5000 and we we hope that we're going to get that pretty we're we're almost there. We're going to get there pretty quickly in the next few months. So uh, that's going to be the next inflection point for us. And once we get we hit that and and exceed that, uh, it it really is where we need to kind of look at again another reshuffling of of how we're doing things strategically internally, uh, processes, um, uh, management, uh, who we have in different roles within the company. Um, 
you know, like I, I, for instance, we we have uh, our, a lot of our accounting and, and um, um, financials now are, are are all of them are internal in the company. Aside from auditing and taxes, for auditing and tax, we do have a firm that we work with on the uh, that's an external firm, uh, a, a pretty large regional firm that we work with here. But uh, for for internal inter, internal accounting and internal finances, uh, we have our folks here. But but that that formula needs to be tweaked after we hit that inflection point and we may need to change roles instead of someone having to be um, an internal controller or, or CPA being maybe someone who's closer to a CF, CFO level. So it, it, it really is you have to you have to kind of strategically tweak uh, your internal processes uh, at each inflection point and what you're able to take on and what you're, where you're able to expand uh, moving forward. Nice, nice. Um, I want to just take one quick step backwards to back towards your your experience in the in the financial industry and how that shaped your success today. Because obviously, access to capital, access to investors, um, I know myself included, uh, it, it's a struggle. You know, when you're starting, any any people, anyone listening to this show wanting to aspire to be a large multifamily operator like yourself, John. Is there any sort of advice you can give and, and did you have a bit of a leg up being or coming from the venture capital space and that helped you, you know, catapult yourself into now your Mac uh, venture capital partners? Well, look, it, it's, it's really understanding the, understanding the people formula part of, part of the equation. So the, the people <laughs> formula, the people formula is the biggest, the biggest uh, thing that, that people need to sort of get their arms around and understand it, it, investors, whether large or small, uh, they're people and they're relationship driven and it's just a, it just really it's a matter of how you access those relationships and how you maintain them and and what credibility you bring to the table um, it, it's it's you, you so you got to have a almost a trifecta of things uh, going for you in order for you to, to to keep growing your business with the right investors you got to have you got a you got to have credibility uh, to some extent and that credibility can come either from a history of, of success or history of operations or history of, of maybe other success that you've had in different industries. Uh, people want to know that you know what you're talking about at the end of the day. That's what, that's what credibility equates to. Uh, credibility equates to, to knowledge, knowledge in the marketplace, knowledge in the finance, knowledge that, that hey, if I give you my money, um, will you know what to do with it? <laughs> so essentially, essentially what it comes down to. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, is essentially operational efficiency. Uh, and and proven operation. So, uh, you know, again, they want to know. Not only do you know what you're talking about, and you've had a history of doing things, and you have you have knowledge, but you also are doing it now. This is this is you know what are you doing now to to make your money, my money work for work work for me. Um, so, if somebody again, as from an investor standpoint, when you give someone your money, you, you, you number one, you want them to you want to know what they're do, you want them to know what what they're doing and have a history of know, knowing what they're doing and, and knowledge. Number two, you want them to be able to have something to do with your money, so so it's not sitting on the sideline uh, and actually generating some kind of operation for you. Um, and uh, and really, number three is some some kind of strategic vision, a strategic goal. And you want a company, you want to invest with a company that that has you know a strategic vision to take to take your com- your money and, and, and kind of take it to the next step um, and be part of something bigger, uh, which is what we hopefully offer to our investors is, is uh, an opportunity for them to, when they get involved with us, get involved with our family of investors, that they're going to be part of something bigger as we help help grow this company 
uh, into into the into the short term and long term future. Uh, I mean, our my strategic vision and 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 my brother Tony's strategic vision for the next few years is really to double our size. Uh, so between now and twenty, between now and twenty 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 one, in the next three to four years, we hope to take to to, to start hitting the almost a ten thousand unit range. Uh, so that's a it's a it's a long order, uh, and it's and it, it's now we're it, we're not going to get there. Uh, by you know not improving and really sharpening our operational proficiencies, but 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 really making them better and bigger and and having more partners on on board and um, adding more investors to our to our platform of, of uh, investors uh, family of investors. Nice, nice. Well, the, the reason where I was going with that question was that there's a lot of people out there, you know, myself included, when I first got started, and, and still to to this to this point where you have a bunch of investors, smaller investors then you try and rinse and repeat them into a second or third or fourth deal and it just gets they either are too small to 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 keep going so are you constantly having investor meetings are your investors getting larger and and more sophisticated and as you said you talk you spoke about accredited investors earlier um, but there's obviously there's a starting point right there's a, everyone's got to start somewhere and that's and typically that is with friends family colleagues how do you then grow into that next stage where you just constantly have enough capital coming through the door to go out and you know get more and more deals? And and are you doing anything specific to to keep that capital coming through the door besides your your processes and the fact that you've got a great track record and credibility? Yeah, you got to you got to constantly be in front of them. I mean, yeah. you have to constantly be at uh, whether it's investor meetings, uh, conferences. Uh, in terms of institutional investors, there are a lot of you, you have to you have to get on the road. I mean, I'm on the road a lot, and most of my most of my meetings are with institutional investors and and accredited investors. I mean, that's that's what that's what you have to do. It's not so you got to balance out your time where you constantly have to be telling your story, constantly having to grow the relationships, and uh, it doesn't have to be directly sort of you know club you upside the head type of type of a meeting where it's it's you know you're going somewhere and you're handing out your card and saying okay when are you going to invest when are you going to put my your money with me investors come in all all different shapes sizes uh, leniencies uh, you know I being for me being part of a in having background in, in investments and and venture capital and in uh, uh, finance you know I I kind of have a I like my network to be very diverse. Um, so, it, it, meaning that I don't necessarily just meet with real estate investors. I meet with investors of all shapes and sizes. I mean, I meet I meet with investors who, last month may have invested in a uh, in a drone program, but this month they they would like to invest in real estate. Um, you never know where they you may catch them at the right time, uh, and 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 you can't oversell it. And that's a, that's the thing. You just have to build a relationship and hope that at some point that relationship will generate something, and it will. Uh, you just you just can't. You just can't put, be put too pushy about it um, because it's it, 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 it's it's not gonna it's not gonna help you um, you know it you, because at the end of the day what you want to really come across and what it should be is you should be helping your investors I mean and that's you're 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 there as a as a value point for your investors and uh, in order to get there a lot of times it requires time I mean it, it, and sometimes it takes a lot of time you know so. It, it, you, you may not, your effort may not yield you some, some results for, you know, six months, maybe a year. Um, it, it goes back to the same thing as when you do networking, for instance. I mean, I, I see a lot of people that network and, 
and they get discouraged after going to like a networking event one time or two times. <laughs> like, oh, this isn't working. This is just not the right networking. I'm done. I didn't. Meet, I'm done. I didn't meet anybody who's going to give me money. Well, well, how many times did you go there? Oh, I went there twice. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's you know that, that's that, your problem. That's not, that's not a lot. That's that's the problem. I mean, you you have to you have to be there. You have to show up. You have to be there day after day. Um, and that's the only that's the only way you build credibility. And and you have to people start to have to recognize your name. And um, you know, we have a here internally. We've have a, we have a list of we do a lot of email marketing, uh, and we we do some phone marketing as well. But uh, but we have a we do a lot of email marketing and phone marketing. And we have a list of few thousand investors actually that we email on a regular basis. And uh, constantly, and, and we don't necessarily call them per se, but they constantly get our newsletters, they constantly get our updates, they constantly get our uh, acquisition news, uh, company news, and all that kind of stuff. And every now and then, someone will pick up the phone, or I'll get an email from someone that says, "Hey, you know, I'd love to take a look at this deal." And it's not because I clubbed them upside the head and said, "Hey, you want to? When are you going to invest with me?" It's just they've seen this over and over again. They've seen us in front of you know, in front of them for the past year, year and a half, two years. And at some point, you're gonna go. It's just like any other marketing. You're gonna go, hey man, maybe this is working for somebody. I might want to give it a try. Um, so it, it takes time. It, there's no there's no magic bullet that's gonna that's gonna give you investors in the course of 24 hours. That's not. It's not gonna happen. It's it's a it's. A, it's a it's a marathon. It's not a it's not a quick race. Right. And what's your average horizon for an investor? You you say you meet them, you have coffee with them first time. What's your average time frame before they're starting to come around to maybe putting in a couple hundred thousand dollars into a deal of yours? It it it, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, it, it could meet someone and have coffee with them, and they are ready and 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 willing and able, and uh, they like your formula, they like your approach, they like you. Uh, they can write a check that afternoon. Some other investors, you meet with them and say, you know what, I'm, I like you. I'm just, you know, let's touch base in another month. I'm not ready right now. You know, and, and it may may take you another six months to get them. It, but it, it really is, depends. There's no cookie cutter approach to it. It's, it's really, I mean, I've had investors we met with and they wrote a check that afternoon. I've had investors we met with and, you know, six months later they came in. So <laughs> it, it just depends. Right, right. And, and so, John, with your vision for Matt Capital, 10,000 units, where are you seeing the market going? What markets are you investing in to help you achieve that 10,000 unit range? Is it still within the, the, the East Coast, the Southeast, or are you, you're diversifying across the country? No, we, we're, we're, I mean, we're definitely doubling down on, on the Southeast. The Southeast, we still think, is a, is a huge value for us. It's going to be a, continue to be a big value for uh, for for investors like us and for for operators like us, um, the Northeast is getting. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be one of the first places to to take a kind of a, a a dip a little bit when we when we hit any kind of a um, little bit of a bump in the road. Um, and and plus, you know, you got to look at also the economies of the Southeast. The Southeast is is a great place that's generating jobs. Uh, economies of scales are getting better. Um, they're constantly, a lot of places in the Southeast are constantly rated one of the better places to live. You have anywhere from Atlanta to Charlotte to Raleigh area to, uh, Charleston, South Carolina to, um, you know, you have Nashville, Tennessee, you have, you have a lot of places in the Southeast that are really, things are going well for it. You have even, it's somewhat Southeast or maybe closer now edging to the mid Atlantic. You got Newport news area, Virginia, and, you know, sort of Southern Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, those are those are getting really great sort of reviews from in terms of 
population moves. So you got to really follow, follow population trends in this business because that's that's what your business is predicated on. It's predicated on on not only knowing the sort of the, the micro economy of, of the multifamily, but also knowing the macro economy of what the, 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 the general consensus of the country itself is going to be, where the population shifts are going, uh, where are where are the sort of the demographics of of millennials and, and Gen Xers are, are, are moving around. Um, and that's that's really what you base your decision on. Um, when we do an acquisition, we look at all these things in, in harmony. We look at uh, we look at job centers. We look at job growth. We look at school systems. We look at um, we look at uh, proximity to to, to um, shopping and dining. You got to provide all these things, and that's you know so 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 all these things have to kind of work together in concert in order for you to produce a successful product. No, I completely agree with that, and you've got some good informational nuggets there. Uh, do you have a uh, a minimum population you like to invest in in any sub market to make like you don't you won't go below say four hundred thousand people like because you just know that there's it's not a it could be risky or whatever. What, what sort of what's your minimum? Uh, I don't know about a population uh, minimum, but uh, you, you you have to have a we have a we have to have a proximity minimum to to a job center of some sort. We we don't we don't go more than forty five minutes outside of a job center. I mean that's that's the breaking point because anybody nobody wants to drive more than forty five minutes to their job. Uh, that's that's the maximum. Uh, the town itself could be you know you, you could have you got to have a big enough town. So you we we generally try to stay over fifty thousand in terms in terms of the the town itself, but. Um, you can have a small town uh, that is close, that is a half an hour away from a major job center or a major city, and you know your apartments will stay rented always. So it, it, it's it's not necessarily just the size of the the population center itself, but you also have to measure what is it close to, what's the proximity range to the both the job centers, shopping, dining, uh, school systems. You got to take, like I said, again, all these things in consideration. It's not just a the immediate area where the apartment complex is. No, that makes that makes so much sense. I'm, you know, we've got to get to the end of this show. I know you're a busy man. I want to want to don't take uh, take too much of your time. But the presidential elections are now over. Over. What uh, what's your sort of prediction where we where we're going to be headed uh, into 2017 to 2018? Uh, cap rates, interest rates, um, multifamily in general. What are your sort of? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but if you did have one, where do you think we're headed? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, we're we're headed up as far as cap rates are concerned. We've already seen that happening. I mean, we've we've since the election to now, uh, since November eighth until now, we've we've seen we've seen cap rates go up, uh, you know, 80, 80, 90 basis point, hundred basis points in, in in some instances. So we've we've already seen a a rate a rate rise. Right. Um, that's that's not. I don't have to. You don't have to have a crystal ball to see that. That's already <laughs> that's already happened, and it will probably continue to. The, the Fed, uh, the Fed fund rate just went up a quarter point, and as expected in December. So uh, we've, but that was already built into the marketplace. So the market have already ex- have built in expectation of that happening. Uh, I, I think we're going to start seeing rates going up, uh, and, and which which is going to be good for people like us who's been struggling, uh, and competing in many in a in a in a market of um, a multitude of buyers. So we're going to have the, probably see a contraction in the in the amount of buyers in the marketplace, which is going to be great for us. It's going to be less of a, a seller's uh, market uh, going forward. It's going to be more of a hopefully a buyer's market again, which is going to be great for us because we feel like in the next six to eighteen months we're going to start finding some better deals and and less competitive deals than we have in the past. And in terms of you know what this 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 presidency is going to is going to do to the marketplace, I, I, I to be honest with you, I think it's going to be probably better. Uh, I mean, again, after all, the man is. The man is a developer, so I mean, how how bad can it, how bad can he make it be to other developers? So 
it's 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 uh, I think for real estate, especially on our end of the real estate spectrum, for commercial real estate is probably gonna gonna be a, a decent market moving forward, especially from a buyer's perspective. And uh, yeah, and I think we're looking gonna, forward to it. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I, I, we're 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 sharpening up the sharpening up the pencils to hopefully back up the truck in the next six to six to twelve months. Nice man. Well, I'll be there. I'll be there right with you. I can tell you that, <laughs> yeah. um, mate. So with all your experience, you know, raising capital, you've built a portfolio of over five thousand units or approaching five thousand units. I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, mate. What's your daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, daily habit, as I've said to, I, I say it to people over and over again. I, I, you kind of get yourself out of your comfort zone. That's the first thing I try to do on a on a daily basis. Whether it's um, whether it's getting up on and going running at an ungodly hour that I'm not used to, uh, or uh, going into the office and making a call that I don't, I'm not look, particularly looking forward to making. Or um, doing something to shake your check yourself out. I mean, just you have to change your routine to to sort of almost almost trick your mind into uh, performing better for you every day. Uh, that's that's the that's that's my sort of number one thing that I try to do. Uh, number two is 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 it's stay on top of your contacts and stay on top of your. Uh, stay on top of your deliverables. Um, it's very easy for us to to lose track of who we need to follow up with. Uh, follow ups and uh, and and staying on top of your your contacts is 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 incredibly important in this business. Incredibly important in this business because out of sight, out of mind, you meet someone and you don't talk to them for another year, they forgot you. They're, you're already you're already you know you're already two years ago. <laughs> so. Uh, so you have to stay on top of them. It doesn't matter if you have a deal for them or not. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you have something, find something of value to reach out to them. Um, whether it's a, it's a, Hey, let me send you this news bit. Let me send you something. Always try to provide value on a regular basis as much as you can, whether it's a, it's a, it's a news clipping, whether it's a, whether it's just a hello, whether it's a birthday wish, uh, something to kind of stay on top of your contact because that's, that's your, your contact base. That's, that's your that's your sort of pot of pre- treasure right there. Be bread and butter. No, I completely agree. And 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 being comfortable with being with being uncomfortable, if that's right, right? That's yes, absolutely. That's you're saying. Absolutely. You, you got to constantly being, be uncomfortable. Being being comfortable and being uncomfortable. That's correct. That's a good way to put it. Nice, nice yeah. man. Uh, most influential person in your career to date? I, I I would have to say my brother. Uh, my brother Tony is he's been uh, aside from my 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 father. He's been he's been. Um, uh, inspirational to me since I was, he's, he's an older brother to me. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, we're, we're almost 11 years, 10 and a half, 11 years apart. And, uh, we've had, a we've had our, our, our good times and bad times, but uh, I've always, uh, admired what he did. And, uh, otherwise I wouldn't be in business with him. Right. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and a very successful business, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and a good successful, but thank God it's a very successful business. And, uh, so he's, uh, he's been pretty influential in nice. my life. Nice. And yeah. now you're being influential to your to your nephews and nieces, which is which is awesome. Yes, yes. It's uh again, that's we take pride in having the the sort of the family business and the family component. It's uh it's it's good and bad in having a family business sometimes. It's uh <laughs> it's you know, you're around the holidays, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you 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 can never get away from the business because right. you're always around it, right, uh, right. whether it's at home or or it's uh, it's in the office, but uh, but it pays dividend. I think the dividend that it pays are are 
to me are higher than than the uh, than the price that you have to pay for having a family business. Sure, sure, mate. What is the most influential tool in your business? I, I'm sure you'd have to have one, whether it be your phone or a, a, an awesome piece of software that you guys use to, I don't know, keep track of all your contacts. What 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 tool is that? Uh, it's it's uh, influential tool is, is is my phone is number one. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I can't survive without my phone. I you know even though. You know, my uh, um, I'm sure my my contacts will, will probably tell you I can they can always reach me no matter what when they when they would send me an email when they I'm always reachable. It's as good and bad, I guess. Um, you know, my my wife would like to take me take a break from my phone. Every now and then. Uh, but you can't you can't survive in this business without it. Uh, the second the second thing for me is is the research tools that we have and and our our sort of our underwriting tool that we've developed in house. Uh, without having those tools, without having that 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 sort of spreadsheeting in those tools, uh, I, I can't survive. I can't do our business. I can't. We 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 we'd be we'd be we'd be shooting blank in the dark. I mean, we 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 would not be able to sort of. Uh, it's our it's our it's our it's our spotlight in the dark of when we're when we're trying to find deals and get through deals. Um, so that's that's really influential to me, as uh, is, is and, and important to me is the is those research tools. Nice, no, and, and setting up your systems, I think, is really really important, particularly given your size of where you are now, approaching five thousand units. You'd really have to have your systems locked and loaded and just turnkey and understanding everyone's got a, their roles and responsibilities so they can go out and just execute on deals. And, and there's no ambiguity in in the system, right? I absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yep. You have to have you have to have your processes. You have to have uh, step A, B, C. D and if if step A fails, you have to always be ready with with the alternate A mm-hmm. uh, to, take its, to take its place. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Pre- and preparation is, is is by far uh, some of the one, one of the, one of the best things you could do. Nice, nice. I've been asking my guests over a little while about the most successful deal they've done, but I'm I'm changing my my tone a little bit and wanting to go. What, what's been the, the the worst deal you've done, and what were the takeaway lessons learned from that particular deal? Worst deals that I've done. Um, that have to be one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there, there, there are, there are. I mean, we we've, we've done uh, uh, the the worst deal I've done was probably some a, a deal that was not in the multifamily industry. If I was to think back to deals that we've done when I was in development and the development finances, uh, we did a deal in Midtown uh, Manhattan that was a hotel conversion project, and that my partners and I. Uh, spent over a year, year and a half, and trying to procure, and um, it failed. It didn't. It didn't go anywhere. Um, well, it, it, it. We we had people at at the table ready to sign. We had we had uh, international investors ready to sign, and uh, we spent a lot of money on it. And and at the end of the day, it, it, we just couldn't make it get it past the, the finish line. And uh, it, there was a lot of lessons learned from that. I'm not going to go into all the intricacies, but there's definitely a lot of a lot of lessons as to as to false expectations and having your your having a lot of things ready and and um, vetting out your your financial partners a lot more. So that was a that was a costly lesson for for, for me to learn uh, uh, from a deal that 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 went sour. Right. No, that's that's. Uh... I could. I've, I've been in a few of those deals myself, but yeah, vetting vetting your partners and whether it be a business partner or a, and a capital partner is is really really important. John, last question for you, mate. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Where are you on Facebook? You're on Twitter. You're on your email that, that people can reach you out at. Yeah, absolutely. All these things. Uh, my email is my email is number one. That's the number one people. Uh, the way that people reach me is uh, John uh, J O H N at macvp.com. M A C C V P.com. 
or uh, you can also reach me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm always uh, I, I'm, I'm uh, a big user of LinkedIn. Uh, a lot of my network is on there, and, and I, I love using LinkedIn on a regular basis. It's, it keeps me in touch with a lot of, large, large portion of my network. Uh, so you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm under Jalal John Azar on there. Uh, you can also follow me on uh, Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Business Anarchy. Um, and, um, or, or, uh, you know, I don't use Facebook for business to be honest with you, but, uh, it's, it's, it's mostly, like I said, Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and my, and my personal email nice. or, or my business email. Nice, yeah. man. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. You've provided some, you know, just really incredible information to all my listeners out there about your processes in developing up to 5,000 units, which is, you know, I'm taking my hat off to you, mate. I think you've done a really, really incredible job. Um, I wish you the best of luck in the future and moving forward into 2017. Um, Thanks for dropping by and we'll catch up soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Cheers, John. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode with John Azar, really incredible bloke, over 5,000 units, you know, just, just, Awesome stuff from him and his brother. Sounds like they've got a great cracking little uh, operation going on over there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, just to recap on some of the stuff we learned from John today, I was just, you know, about his processes and how, you know, he's got to the point where he has, you know, due diligence is very, very important. And, and everyone in his team knows if step A doesn't work, go to step B. If step B doesn't work, go to step C. And that's very, very important to help scale your business. I think the other big takeaway piece of advice is for all your newbie uh, capital raisers out there, keep in touch with your with your contact list. Keep being in front of people. Keep going to networking events. Don't just rock up once and just say, oh, well, I went to one networking event and didn't raise any money. I'm not going to go anymore. Consistently be at your local rear events, at your local networking events, and that's how you're going to get traction. Show your face. Consistently show your face. Even start your own meetup event maybe. Um, and but just constantly be in touch with them. Send out mar- news, newsletters every month. They call it touches. If you're in, if you're touching your your investors consistently, whether it's once a week or once a month, with an email, with a, a happy birthday, with a with a catch up, you know, coffee message or, or lunch. Say let's catch up. You know, we haven't spoken to each other in a couple of months. I also find that very powerful in my business. Um, that's a very very awesome little tidbit and takeaway piece of advice that you should all be writing down and you should all be implementing as you grow and as you start raising capital. Now, guys, if you do like this show, jump on iTunes and give the show a five-star review. Um, it's an easy uh, way to give back to the show and leave a comment on this show as well. Up, go to my website to rsmpropertygroup.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, check out all the show notes from a summary of today's conversation with John and any links we did mention on today's show will be up on my website. Um, whilst you're there, check out some of the investment opportunities we do have going on. Uh, if you're also into wine and cheese, I know a lot of people are into wine and cheese and networking. Uh, I do have a networking event in downtown Los Angeles called the Wine Downtown that we host about once a month. Uh, I also have a bunch of webinars that are going on and obviously all the videos from my YouTube channel. So make sure you've subscribed. All right, guys, we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.